Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and this is my co-host Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Starship Troopers. Young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. (laughs) They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. This is an American ultra-violent action satire science fiction war movie. Directed by Paul Verhoeven. The cast includes Tarzan from the Lost City, Detective Allison Carey, Dr. Christmas Jones, Bruce from Stranger Things, Barney Stinson, Captain Hadley, Jester from Top Gun, Blanche Devereaux, Hank Schrader, and Sergeant Ellis Carver. I watched this movie by renting it on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I watched it on Amazon, which was a mistake because, (laughs) I don't know, Amazon's changed their... um, layout somehow so now you can't purchase things on the app or like through um anymore like the brian video app you have to go to amazon like on the on your desktop or laptop purchase it there and then you can cast it from your phone which is very annoying because for some reason at least in this movie subtitles were not available so yeah so i was watching this movie without subtitles which was not how i usually watch these movies i like to get the dialogue as as much as i can um but Still, yeah, uh, I, it was very frustrating. I think uh, Amazon is uh, perhaps falling down the ranking. Uh, uh, pretty soon, HBO Mid will be overtaking. It will no longer, no longer be Amazon Prime. It will be a- Amazon. Um, what? Factorable Amazon. Amazon. You know, just yeah, <laughs> factorable Amazon. Uh, <laughs> Composite. Okay, Amazon Composite. <laughs> Amazon Composite. All right, great. I'm glad we. I'm glad I nailed that joke. <laughs> well, YouTube continues to be one of the best places to watch movies, in my opinion. Uh, the the interface on YouTube is uh, tried and true. Easy to rewind. Easy to fast forward. Doesn't usually buffer. Um, shout out uh, YouTube. <laughs> Thanks YouTube. Thanks YouTube. Okay, uh, let's move forward. And uh, before we begin our analysis of this movie we will recap the events in a synopsis that you wrote joey go ahead and get us started earth is at war the disgusting evil and insect-like creatures of clindathu are hurling asteroids at humanity's home world the only thing protecting us is the united citizen federation the federation is a global military government that is waging an interstellar war against the arachnids of clindathu and they need your help Johnny Rico, Carmen Ibanez, and Carl Jenkins are three friends that join the Federation right out of school. Ibanez wants to be a pilot, Jenkins is psychic and is recruited into intelligence, and Rico wants to be close to Ibanez, his girlfriend. Rico is put in mobile infantry, aka the front lines. Isabel Dizzy Flores, who has a crush on Rico, joins his unit. Rico demonstrates his competency early and is made squad leader, but a tragic accident makes Rico want to quit. However, an asteroid successfully bypasses Earth's defenses and destroys Rico's hometown of Buenos Aires, which convinces him to stay and fight. An invasion of Clindathu is planned, but arachnid defenses are more formidable than anticipated. Many humans are killed. 
Rico is stabbed in the leg by a bug appendage, but his wound is regenerated, and he's sent back out. Rico, Dizzy, and their friend Ace all join the Roughnecks, a special squad of infantrymen led by Rico's former teacher, Lieutenant Gene Razchek. Razchek leads a successful attack on another bug world, looking to rescue a stranded human base. While on the planet, Rico finally gives in to Dizzy, and they sleep together. When the Roughnecks arrive at the base, they realize it was a trap set by the bugs. They desperately fight off waves and waves of monstrous creatures until Carmen is able to rescue them in a spare shuttle. The lieutenant and Dizzy are killed in the attack, and Rico wants revenge. But the human fleet is regrouped and is leading a special attack force on the planet. They believe the bugs are controlled by a central brain bug. If they can capture one, it will turn the tide of the war. Rico and what is now his troop of roughnecks ship out once more, but Carmen's space vessel is shot down and she crash lands on the planet. Rico goes after her. Deep under the mountain, she is captured by the brain bug, which threatens to suck out her brains. Rico and his friends arrive, scaring off the brain bug and rescuing Carmen. When they emerge from the bug's cave, they find all the rest of the human troops gathered around a captured brain bug. Carl arrives and places his hand on the creature, reading its thoughts. It's afraid, he calls out triumphantly. It's afraid. The The end. end. (laughs) There we have it, the events of Starship Troopers. Uh, We'll begin our analysis with our pros and our cons. Joey, what did you like about Starship Troopers? This movie is beautifully, horrifically, tragically, amazingly violent. Um, the bu- the bugs look amazing. They're really unique and all <laughs> uniquely disgusting in their own special <laughs> way. Um, it's a this movie is a really remarkable piece of satire. It sticks to its guns literally, and I think it's fun the whole time. What about you? I agree. the The ultra violence is fantastic. It really shows that war is hell. Uh, and every time it happens, it's just just as graphic and even more horrific than the last time we saw it. Uh, I think this movie features effective satire and criticism of the military-industrial complex. The special effects actually hold up really well. Uh, the, not to say that this movie is like going toe-to-toe with Avatar as far as how good it looks, but it or does... Or Bear. Right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you want to talk about violence. This movie is doing what uh, Cocaine Bear should have done with violence. But the special effects hold up well. Like It, it looks fine. It, it looks like a goofy sci-fi movie, but it's not unwatchable in some of the ways that other special effects uh, you know, age poorly. Then, uh, yeah, but this also, some other things I loved. This movie has some badass sci-fi action sequences. Uh, it has such heavy 90s vibes which i I love (laughs) the pinnacle of human civilization the 90s (laughs) that's right i mean even that intro quote we played you can hear the like the trumpets the triumphant sound of those trumpets that's so 90s like the the exact same kind of music they played for like the turbo man theme song at the in jingle all the way and finally, another reason I like this movie is because it includes football. There's like a futuristic football sequence. Um, you know, there's certain themes that are kind of effectively uh, portrayed through that. But I think the inclusion of football even had nothing to do with anything, uh, you know, brings a very positive aspect to this film. So I got to give it credit for that. <laughs> so that's uh, those are our pros. Let's move on to our cons. Joy, what did you not like about Starship Troopers? I found it hard to criticize this movie, honestly. I feel like there's a lot that's 
that does well. And it's one of those movies that really executes its premise well. But for me, I wish there was uh, more bugs of various sizes and designs, something to kind of, um, uh, I don't know, give the bugs a little bit more character. Um, and I would also like some more discussion about how the opposition is just wrong. There's, there's a little, there's tiny little hints about like, you know, critics may say, or, or something like that. There's little things in there about how maybe the approach that the humanity is taking is incorrect. Um, but I liked, uh, every aspect where that was kind of stamped out almost immediately. And I wish there was a little bit more of that. I feel like that could have been, uh, something more tangible to, to grasp onto. What about you? Yeah, I definitely agree um, with that second point there. Um, but I also thought that the the love story was kind of boring fan service. The uh, you know not to say that I didn't want him to get with Dizzy, but that was more off of like a uh, you know instinctual like oh attractive people should be with attractive people, <laughs> yes. less than like there being some sort of uh, strongly conveyed message through their love story and like the the total approval of the lieutenant who's like oh well then you can have twenty minutes is just to me <laughs> felt gr- like gratuitous uh, fan service. So uh, that kind of made me roll my eyes and also. Uh, Similar to how you you were saying that the you uh, can include more about the opposition. I wish I knew more about the civilians. Um, I think there's a lot that can be implied about the rights that the civilians do not have as a result of uh, not serving in the military. But I kind of wish we could have heard more about the civilians' thoughts on the society. Clearly, uh, Johnny's parents think of joining the Federation as throwing your life away i mean that is a strong case to make against doing that and maybe you could say it's because they knew he'd be mobile infantry and it's clear that mobile infantry get injured a lot but i wonder if there was some sort of like competing undercurrent of people who believe that it's actually better to not join the federation for such and such reason or whatever you know um or, or try to dissuade people from joining the federation um that that doesn't really get touched on um, so uh, yeah, yeah, it would be well, interesting. I, mean, it's, I think it's, it had to, we had to be careful about any of this stuff because anything that all of this, everything in this movie is very intentional, and even this depiction of Johnny Rico's parents is shown to be like, oh, the oppressive parents. Like, like <laughs> if you're if you're a kid watching this, right, you're like, I'm going to rebel against my parents, and this is Rico doing that. He's fulfilling that, right? That uh, the kind of fantasy, which is this what this whole movie is is it's a fantasy for mobile infantry. Man, it's a, it's a way of uh, perpetuating the war. It's propaganda for the uh, for the state, right? So. And I, I've even heard like people say that this the movie itself is made to be kind of like a movie that would exist in this world that people would watch and then go join the Federation down right. to even the casting choices because people have said that like the actors are not that good and it's like they choose uh, the uh, actors who are more attractive than actually good at acting because they're trying to portray something here. It's like, look, attractive people are in the Federation and like they're having sex with each other. So that's part of it as well. I mean, and you can go to layers of that, but we'll, we'll get into that more into our overall section. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to you. Um, this is one of those movies whose story often eclipses the work itself. The question for me is, does this movie's message still ring true? And uh, does it still have something to teach us in the modern day? It's my opinion that the irony of Starship Troopers, both intentionally and unintentionally, is more relevant today than ever before. 
Um, this movie is based loosely on a book by Robert A. Heinlein, a prominent science fiction writer in the mid-20th century. Um, it's widely believed that the book is completely serious and genuine, while the movie by Paul Verhoeven tells an almost identical story, but does so ironically. I the the Wikipedia article for Heinlein is incredibly long. <laughs> it's like and it and his politics are really complicated, actually, because he started off as very liberal and then later in life became more conservative when he wrote uh, this and then later in even later in life, he was more uh, explicitly a libertarian, which definitely, in my mind, puts him closer to the conservative side. But either way, it's it's generally believed that he thought of this as a possible future, one that would be stable, right? Without recognizing the inherent flaws that might be in it, or at least not pointing them out in a direct way. Paul Verhoeven famously never read the book. He read the first two chapters and said he got bored. His screenwriter um, actually had to explain the plot to him later. And actually, the the movie itself was was sort of already written before they attached the Starship Troopers name to it. I think it was called like the Bug War or something like that. And they um, they they put the Starship Troopers name on it partly for marketing, um, but it sort of transformed the story into an even more biting satire because it was taking something that was genuine and turning into something else um yeah this is this twist of authorial intent is into its opposite is probably the most famous example of successful satire and i think it's worth dissecting that like a bug on a on a uh, <laughs> uh, uh in your high school classroom um the first time i watched this movie i remember feeling confused which i think is the reaction that i i i you're supposed to feel. I often talk about vagary on this podcast and how like things that are not explicit sometimes get misinterpreted and how that can be damaging to the message of this movie. I don't really think Starship Troopers can be misinterpreted unless you are doing it on purpose. I think that when you watching this movie, there's there's one there's either you you get it right away or you have an experience similar to mine, which is when I it wasn't until the end of the movie and when um dougie himmler uh puts his hand <laughs> on the uh brain bug and says it's afraid that everything kind of clicked into place for me the whole movie came into focus because suddenly i realized that oh all of this was not supposed to be taking that face value all of this was supposed to be a criticism of our world and the world that's in starship troopers because of how violent and how horrifying and how uh single-minded and simple humanity has become um and I, I, even though there's all this stuff happening that that gave me the feeling I was watching a war film, the characters didn't act the way I expected. They seemed so content and excited about this war that they were stuck inside of. Every other um, thing that's like uh, talks about war does this in a way that's very critical. And actually, Steven Spielberg once said, "Of course, every war movie, good or bad, is an anti-war movie," which is something that I generally agree with. Um, Starship Troopers has all the hallmarks of a war film, right? It's horrifyingly violent. People are killed gruesomely, casually. Human life is so fragile and is normally shown to be precious, but on the barren battlefields of Clendathu, humans are fodder, torn to shreds in instants, painfully screaming the whole time. And this would be enough to show the inhumanity of war in any other movie. But in Star Trek Troopers, this is good, actually. People dying is tragic, but it's the price we are expected to pay. It's worth it to watch your friends die. It's noble to die pointlessly. And in fact, sometimes it's mercy to kill your own troops. Death rides alongside you, not against you. In fact, you are death, death from above. 
When I normally watch a movie about war, the virtues and national pride that sends my characters to the battlefield are quickly stripped away. And what's left is ordinary people pushed to kill each other. I can't help think about when I read All Quiet in the Western Front in high school, probably one of the most potent anti-war books ever written, and basically just depicted what it was like to be on the front lines during World War I. Um, Anyone in that situation would be right to question their orders or the whole dang project of the war. But War, you know, war is a place for sociopaths and the unempathetic. But in uh, Starship Troopers, our heroes relish in the opportunity to kill more bugs. They only become more dedicated to their cause the more horrors they see. Rico, Carmen, and Carl, and the rest never question if they're on the right path. The bugs killed our family and friends, so they must die. In the movie, violence is celebrated at every opportunity. Every problem can be solved with more aggression, more guns, more troops. Send them all in, waves and waves of infantry, uh, willing to die for a greater cause. In a fascist world, everyone grows up to hold hammers and is told every problem is a nail. After all, I only have one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. If you don't do your job, I'll shoot you. Right? It's it, it, the violence is the point. Violence is the is a uh, is a feature, not a bug, right? And I mean, we see this with Xander and Rico whenever they fight over Carmen. They're literally fighting foot football as uh, an example of uh, uh, um, entertainment. Uh, it's famously being one of the most violent sports <laughs> that's available <laughs> today. Um, this is yeah, this is all on purpose. This is all to show like that violence solves all your problems, and that um, if you if you haven't solved your problem, you just haven't been violent enough. Right, and it going back to that idea of like the horrors of war and that kind of uh, shift that you see in a lot of movies, where before the violence, everybody's kind of on board with it. You've got, I mean, I'm thinking about the Space Marines in Aliens, where they're like, "We are yes. badass. Crazy we example. are death in, uh, you know, personified, and we're going feet first into hell. I like bring your sunblock, kind of like macho <laughs> uh, attitude." But then um you know that anti-war like portrayal gets in there with them witnessing the horrific deaths of their friends and taking on massive injury themselves and suddenly thinking what am i doing why am i here how is this the solution to our problems and this movie com- like completely skips that part right <laughs> everybody sees everyone getting torn to shreds even johnny gets his own leg just completely destroyed and he wakes up in a tub where he's getting rebuilt and his friends come by and they're like you'll be out in three days <laughs> like <laughs> look, look it says you're dead isn't that funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll, like let's get back to it we got more bugs to kill uh yeah so it's uh that's the part where if you're not using any sort of discernment it's easy to get on board with the movie and be like yeah more bug killing but if you think about it in the context of like any sort of reality and, and not just living in some sort of violent fantasy you're like wow there is absolutely no self-awareness coming from these mobile infantry uh the other part where that's very apparent is when johnny gets promoted because johnny sees his promotion well i mean it's clear that his promotion has comes from like his sort of sort of valor and service 
service and all that stuff, but it also comes from somebody above him dying. <laughs> it's That's right. Always, just... always somebody dying. People <laughs> are always dying that he reports to. Right. And it, <laughs> then he becomes them and he even accepts verbally that he's like, and I'll do this until I die or you find somebody better. Right. right. Uh, which like, on you know, you can look at it in one light and it's like, dang, they're, what an efficient military machine. The other side is like, wow, you are such a cog. Like you are nothing more than uh, like a piece of machinery in, in this big complex system. Yeah, well, that's yeah. like that's one of the beauties of Johnny Rico as a character <laughs> is his arc from being this like kind of horny teenager, right? Who's in um, high school and, and is kind of unsure about what he wants, right? The only thing he want he knows for certain is that he loves his girlfriend. Um, but she, does she even love him? It's not unclear. The um, but you know he he doesn't he can go to harvard he has all these opportunities he's lives with his rich family and everything but then he decides he's going to do this instead because it feels right you know and then he's validated in that feeling um because uh of the horror the horrors of war and that he's able to lead these people or at least be near people that are leading people to um uh to survive not but but what's ironic about that is that it doesn't matter whether or not the, the mission goes well the the mission always goes poorly actually it's oh they're always overwhelmed they're always going into a trap right they're always getting to something that they don't belong inside of and people die horribly constantly but rico has has his arc is relieving himself of that responsibility like feeling bad but using that as fuel for his uh, violence, right, and, and and reducing himself into simply a a gun on the battlefield, and uh, finding great purpose in that. It's it's very, it, it's so strange because it's the opposite of how almost every other like <laughs> depiction of like coming of age works, you know. And it's it's uh it's this power that of like that fascism plays in this in this in this world, right? That the someone like Rico, who had all of these opportunities at his beck and call, suddenly becomes the hero um, that he always wanted to be. Someone that you uh, uh, that's kind of come up in recent memory that resembles Johnny Rico in some ways is Pat Tillman, um, yes. the uh, football player who joined uh, the army, I believe, after nine eleven. Um, and he was famously killed in a bout of friendly fire, which the military took great lengths to cover up. In fact, lying to his family over and over again about what really happened to him because they saw him as a useful um, recruiting tool. And in fact, they're still using him today on the, at the Super Bowl this last year. There was a picture of him. They had, gave the Pat Tillman Award. Um, but he, uh, the only reason he, was, he stuck with the military is because his brother was was in it and um he wrote often in his journals about how he disagreed with the war about how he thought it was as a bad idea um that they shouldn't be there that he was disillusioned about why they were really there um and in fact uh, uh told one of his friends that he was afraid that if something bad ever happened to him he would be held up as some sort of hero used as propaganda to help recruit for the war um and uh, that's in fact exactly what happened to him but you know, Rico follows that same arc, except that he doesn't have to die. He he believes the propaganda. He he consumes it and and regurgitates it. He doesn't. Ha- he sees the horrors, and unlike a normal person like Pat Tillman, uh, doesn't blanch from it. Instead, relishes in it. Yeah, and to be clear, he uh, Pat Tillman very famously died. The part right. about how he died 
that part is in in my knowledge not so famous those are the people who comment on the nfl's post of like look pat tillman is we're all pat tillman right we should be uh, we should try to be more like pat tillman uh the way that he's talked about at least in the nfl uh from like the league's perspective is that he was a ball player and he was good but then gave that up to go serve and then he died bravely defending his country that's the end of the story Right. right. Do not look closer into this uh, because that is all you need to know, uh, which, you know, just makes it seem all the more like hearing, like knowing the truth. It's like this is almost cartoonish how uh, like how much we're being lied to with the Pat Tillman uh, situation. So uh, which is a perfect segue into talking about the federal or the Federation Network propaganda. I love these sequences. Oh, I thought too. this was so well done, uh, <laughs> especially because it's like slightly different depending on what they were trying to convey. Like the one where it's war, the Federation Network like titles are on fire. <laughs> I love that. I was I was watching closely the like like the little animations they use. Like the hat, like it looks kind of shimmery, but it's like the background is sort of like changing or smoothing. It's it's very sleek looking. Yes. even if it doesn't necessarily look as good as it you know as it once did um it's still like it fits the tone just so perfectly um and it's not hard to see something like it or something more updated version of it uh being used uh for recruiting today yeah i almost see it as like it gave me kind of windows xp vibes which windows xp was like uh it didn't look the best maybe but it worked and it was just like kind of i don't know the standard procedure it wasn't trying to give you too much like motion or or sort of presentation it was just like it worked and that's what i'm kind of getting out of this they're like we're not going for the most attractive or the best production quality because we don't have to this is the federation we decide what you see so this is good enough for us and that's what you're going to go through um and it also it kind of like had this web interface kind of feeling to it uh with every segment ending with would you like to know more and you can like click on the word more and then it'll bring up the next thing i (laughs) thought that was so clever because it, it kind of gives you this feeling that you the viewer are actively engaged in some sort of investigation and seeking out of information and truth uh that that gives you kind of agency where you're like i would like to know more you know what i'm going to go out and seek more but all you're doing is swallowing more propaganda uh, and, and what hilarious propaganda we've got here. We've got depictions of the military being kind of like a fun and even funny place to work. Letting kids hold your guns and having them like fight over them and handing out bullets and kids like picking those up laughing about that one kid who joined up to do his part you know he's out there in the ranks saying he's doing his part and everyone just kind of smiles and laughs together Uh, like this is an army that you can join to not only save the world but have a good time doing it you know Um, plus you get that citizenship that is also uh, guaranteed uh, should you become a uh you know part of the military i'm wondering if there's any other ways to get citizenship that isn't necessarily guaranteed like uh could you buy it potentially mm. or some other way i don't know uh, i i do that's i feel like kind of two ways about that where i'm like i wish they would tell me more stuff explicitly but by not saying stuff you kind of have the ability to imagine it right um and not overthink it so i, I like that 
We also get to see this Mormon extremist camp that's set up in an outpost in bug territory and got slaughtered, uh, which to me is saying that like if you try to do something on your own that isn't with the Federation, then you're you're as good as dead. You know, here's an example of uh, you know a group of people who thought they could do things on their own, and uh, you know th- it ended quickly. Uh, plus we've got the classic, I mean, this is classic, uh, fascist government, like propaganda, which is stoking outrage after the, uh, attack on, uh, Buenos Aires, we've got the, 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 the scene where they say the sorrow is quickly replaced by anger. And then they cut to like a dirty looking guy who's like, the only good bug is a dead bug. <laughs> like, this is such an every man, uh, who, who's really speaking what we are all feeling, uh, that we should really go out of our way to kill these bugs. And then uh, they show little kids stomping on roaches with an adult woman cheering and giggling gleefully next to them. Um, and then we even have like the, the, the word choice, I think, is, is fantastic for this. They've got the countdown to victory because it, well, no matter what's going on, we're constantly moving towards victory, even if the conflict is eternal. That's right. Or the victory will be achieved. Um, uh, absolutely. And That's right. uh, uh, what they don't say is that the victory is simply the, the fight itself, um, which is what they mean. Right. Um, the, the forever war must uh, continue. And by fighting, you are, you are achieving victory, not necessarily the end of the fighting. And, um, you know, in this society, violence is just simply a part of life, right? Um, Professor Razcheck uh, says force is the supreme authority and society in Starship Trooper uh, reflects that belief. Voting is an act of force because it's exercised by those who have the right over all others, including those who don't have that right. And then they also have public whippings that are used to promote compliance as well as public executions that are broadcast on all channels. Everyone's going to see this. Not to mention that the justice system seemed pretty quick. They're like, this morning, we, ca- we got this murderer who has now been sentenced to death, and he'll be bro- we'll be broadcasting that tonight at 6. It's like, dang, they really... Uh, I'm sure this guy did it then, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're so sure appeal process. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and, but that's the other thing, too, is like that the death penalty is not just something that happens. It's something that's like broadcast so that we can all be sure that we're all on board with this you know right. um there's not something that's happening in the shadows or something we're ashamed of this society is like yeah w- we kill people uh, the state gets to decide who dies and um and then it, it only makes sense that military service uh kind of extends from that you know being in the military isn't pushing papers or flying a drone and dropping bombs on people maybe it's kill and be killed as part of the unifying force that pushes society forward i mean that was my first thought was that they didn't why would they go onto these planets where the bugs are just blow up the planet where is the (laughs) death star (laughs) so (laughs) um i read somewhere that i i didn't really get this from the movie but somebody uh, said that it sort of implied that they wanted to colonize these planets, um, not just to, like wipe the bugs out. Although, like in one of the um, <laughs> in one of the propaganda films, they have a picture of like the solar system, and then they have Clindathu's solar system on the other side, and then they show like a little PNG of a of a <laughs> explosion, explosion yeah. to demonstrate that the planet's been destroyed. Um, so yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't. I mean, but I think that's like. 
I honestly think that's part of the um uh, of the thing, right? Is that is war itself is the virtue. War itself is the value that we have to express, right? Death of the ordinary man, you know, sending people to die is part of it. If we had an easier way to win, they wouldn't have the same like uh force. It wouldn't have the same weight to it, right? Um the cuz it's pretty obvious to us like the bugs are not really the point right it's the it's the society that creates starship troopers um that's the the is the force the bugs are just the excuse this time um next week there'll be a different excuse um but for but we'll always need people who are being sent out to die um because that's that's really what we're that's our real export is death uh of ourselves and of others so I feel I feel like that's just not in line with like fascist principles is to act to like actually effectively win a war. And that's kind of that's on display constantly here, too. Right. The human strategy is very simple. It's simply land on the planet, shoot everything. Right. There's no like. They're like have those big um, ships in the sky, and you're like, oh, those big old energy blasts. Those don't, those don't hurt ships. And then they hit a ship. And you're like, oh no, <laughs> how did we not see this coming? Like, like you guys are idiots. Like, how do you like how is it how's it possible that you've made it this far? But that's like the that's the 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 beauty of it is that they just have constant and endless fodder to to throw into the meat grinder, and uh, it doesn't matter what happens because no one's ever going to question it. Everyone's always going to be grateful and. Um, Everyone and everyone who's died will likely die. So, whatever, who cares? The I think um, we never really learned that much about the Arachnids, the the enemy uh, in this in this uh, movie. We know they have different classes of fighters. We know how they have some natural defenses. Um, they seem content to solve their issues the same way humans do, which is by <laughs> throwing bodies at the problem until they're successful. As far as we know, and as far as the humans in the story know, the bugs have no culture, no art, not even family life. There's no cities or anything like that, right? It's just them like wandering the wilderness or the barren desert of these planets. Um, but they are a warlike civilization, and we either need to kill them or be killed by them. And in that way, they're the perfect enemy, right? Because they can be slaughtered without ever questioning human- humanity's motivations. They are disgusting. They're evil. They have nothing in common with us, and they're seeking to destroy us. Yet, peace or negotiations are never considered. Again, violence is our only tool worth considering. We shouldn't be forced to deal with lesser beings. They are meant to be squished beneath our boot. It's worth noting that fascist societies in the past often compare their oppressed class to insects as well. Um, so that, that feels very uh, uh, on the nose for me. Mm-hmm. But um, I think about this from a fascist perspective. A race of insects motivated only by violence is perfect reflection of the fascist ideal. It's projection, really, because in a fascist state, fascism is the most effective government and all others aren't even worth considering. The greatest crime the bugs commit is not doing fascism as well as the humans do. Yeah, it's uh, it reminds me of that Black Mirror episode where... They're killing like the giant roaches, but then it it like is revealed that oh that's right the soldiers have like a visual like change aug- augmented reality thing going on that makes like whatever the military wants them to see as roaches look like roaches even if it's just normal humans actually it is just normal humans right um, so I I um yeah I thought that was really interesting I, I agree it's like that fascist ideal that your enemy is completely justified in being destroyed uh 
like it, it's easy to just view them as you know something that should be destroyed is you don't have to think twice about it um i think this quote right here was really interesting uh when it when it comes to like confronting an, en- an enemy like this one day someone like me is gonna kill you and your whole fucking race Um, okay, we left <laughs> extra sound in there on that one. But, um, you know, in this context, it's humans versus bugs, but it's easy to substitute the bugs for whatever race or ethnicity that is hated by the fascists. And the quote can be left the same. They even yes. have a scientist that's offended by the idea that bugs can think, right? This is, to the, to the fascists, the enemy is, is total scum and their destruction is obvious and necessary peace was never an option because whoever the the party is united against uh you know that is justification enough yeah and i think that kind of answers uh one of your questions about psychics right you're you're you had a question here about whether or not like why there are psychics in this yeah why why is being psychic a thing in this movie (laughs) that is one of my questions I think that's like a classic sci-fi futuristic thing, but I also think that it relates to this exact point you just made, which is intelligence, right? We, the humanity is the only intelligent species. Everything else is just mindless insects, right? Even though we act like mindless insects, we're actually the intelligence ones. So I think psychic power is sort of an extension of that, right? There's, there's, There's hierarchies. There's always hierarchies in, in a, in a state like this, right? You have, uh, the 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 officers at the top, then you have the the pilots, and then you have the infantrymen, and then you have the uh, citizens and the civilians, right? And there's this there's this natural hierarchy that forms by that's enforced by the state. And uh, if you have psychics involved, then you you sort of uh, reinforce this idea of humanity's exceptionalism, and that there's a specific ranking to the universe, right? There are some people who are just better than you um, and they should be in charge. Yeah, and I, I think that's really, yeah, shown through all those levels that you're talking about. Like Carl is psychic, so he gets to be in military intelligence, which is like shadowy and nobody really knows what they do. And they get to decide where hordes of mobile infantry will be sent to be slaughtered on the battlefield and yep. make that decision right even just having the power to decide where to send the the uh the troops i think is is a lot of power and then carmen is kind of in this middle ground where she's good at math so she gets to be a pilot uh which means she gets to control huge military equipment um and you know hold the lives of the soldiers on that ship in her hands but probably more important than that she gets to be a safe distance from the conflict most of the time <laughs> right <laughs> unlike johnny and the rest of the mobile infantry uh, because they're a bunch of dummies, right? They scored low in math, so they get to be low-value fodder that gets sent to the front line in waves to confront the enemy head-on. And uh, we even get to see a little bit of what we're supposed to believe about these different levels, which is they shouldn't necessarily interact. Uh, they say that fleet does the flying and MI does the dying. Uh, you know, and that's that's kind of like an a mobile infantry saying to like kind of resentment towards the fleet. But also when they get into a fight uh, at the like at the base where everybody wants to go get a tattoo, uh, but then. Johnny sees Carmen and he goes to talk to her and he gets in a fight with Xander. Uh, 
everyone kind of chalks it up to the differences between fleet and MI. It's just inherent. This is the natural order that some humans are just better than others and we shouldn't try to mess with that. Um, And then this even extends beyond um, the military because we have civilians, which civilians have no political power. They exist at the behest of the citizens. And the justification here is that the citizens put their lives on the line for the country while civilians have not uh you know rights that we take for granted in our country are reserved for those that serve and and also importantly survive service like it's not just voting it's scholarships motherhood licenses the ability to do a job that isn't farming it, mm-hmm. you know and this reminds me of the real life military that lures poor and unfortunate people into service uh you know which you could result in them being fodder in endless conflict. Yeah, exactly. I, that like it's shown. I think like if you've seen the various military propaganda throughout really our lifetime, it's constant. You know, especially if you watch football, there's a lot of it, and it's um, and yeah, it's always framed as like uh, I'm going to I'm, I'm creating an opportunity for myself, right? This thing is is going to give me an opportunity. And it's never really stated that like this is dangerous, right? I remember one specific um uh a broadcast, some sort of um ad on the radio where there was like it was like interviewing like moms or or parents or something about like their kids joining the military and there was one where the mom's like uh, when my daughter told me she wanted to join uh the army, uh, at first I was worried for her safety. But then I saw blank, 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 blank. You know, it's like, like, yeah, obviously, like that's the first thing and only thing you should be thinking about is is like whether or not you'll you'll survive or not. I think today, you know, we've seen that you know the military in the U.S. Uh, often operates with very minimal casualties to the U.S. side, uh, massive casualties on the other side. But it's still like a horrifying experience. There's lots of people that go to war and come back never the same, uh, whether physically or mentally. So. It's it's quite a price to pay for uh, something, especially if you have no other choice, right? Um, but like, even in the U.S., right? Like, uh, joining the military is a great way to survive. Um, it's, I mean, it's practically socialism if you <laughs> if you think about it. Hey, like, you want to know? You want to see? Uh, you know, government controlled healthcare. Check out the military. You, yes. you ask your. Uh, your friend who's in the army about uh, you know his healthcare. I'll tell you, he'll say he likes it. He's a, they're running it yep. pretty well over there. They they love it and it, it's great. And until you of course are a veteran, right? Uh, but then yeah. Veterans Affairs <laughs> uh, sometimes steps in. They, this is a pretty robust organization, but not always. Anyway, um, free housing in some cases, free food, um, right? That's included in your salary uh even things like uh, benefits for married couples and and things like that like there's a lot of benefits uh that look a lot like social security or social safety nets that are available only to people that join the military um which is uh very interesting very interesting parallel uh to what we're shown in this movie yeah it's one of those things i i was reading about how um the author was kind of uh, of the actual book was like this is a society that works and yes um i think that that's only a few degrees of separation away from what we currently have where these uh all these benefits are afforded to people who are willing to uh join the military um versus you know not and then you suffer the 
whatever consequences there are of your unfortunate circumstances. Definitely. All right. Um, at the risk of having this word lose all meaning, because I'm going to say it so often, let's talk about fascism. <laughs> yes, a, ver- a word I've heard defined in many ways and used in almost any circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to try to define fascism. It's it's one of those things that's difficult to define explicitly, sort of like socialism or capitalism or even uh, the word God, right? These are all, um, in some ways, social lubricant. Uh, in some ways, purposely misconstrued uh, for the purpose of the person saying it. But here's the here's what I'm uh, here's the statement I'm going to go with, and we can we can pick this apart later. Fascism often says one thing and then does the opposite, and I think this is at the heart of the satire that's in display at this movie. Uh, fascists promise great greater safety, security, and an end to evil. They promise greater freedom and that they will expel the problems and leave only the righteous behind. But when fascism is enacted, it undermines safety and security, perpetuates evil, restricts freedoms and causes problems, all while saying it's doing the opposite. Just think about Nazi Germany. Everyone had something to fear, not just the Jews. It wasn't the Jews that were rounding people up and killing them. It was the people claiming they were making Germany safe. The forever war, the celebration of violence, begets more violence, perpetuating humanity into everlasting conflict. But in the movie, this is good. Humanity is flourishing. Right, we're we're having a we're having a great time on Earth, you know. Uh, our buildings and cities look clean and and uh, sleek, right? We have this uh, we have prosthetic limbs and all sorts of uh, healing solutions and stuff. To like, the, the, to pay no attention to how anyone over the age of forty is missing a limb, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, humanity is doing great. The irony of Starship Troopers is that this movie looks exactly like a movie made by the fascists, like, like you were saying earlier. If fascism ran the world, these are the type of types of films that we would see. They are simple. E- there are simple evil antagonists, beautiful, stupid protagonists, uh, celebrations of violence and destruction, and a world unified in its belief in humanity's superiority. But I think what's really great about this movie is that what is Beautiful and perfect to fascists is horrifying and contemplative to the rest of us. Fascism grows in power the more our world starts to look like Starship Troopers and the more our media starts to look like Starship Troopers. I think this movie should be viewed in that light, like as a template. When we compare our media landscape to it, the more similarities we see, the more cautious we should be about our current path. I, I agree. It's one of those movies that, uh, well, I, I thought it was interesting that the way this movie was perceived when it first came out was that it was, um, people missed the satire and they thought that it was saying the opposite of what it's trying to say. Uh, but then also it keeps being revisited as time goes on and people are like, Starship Troopers is more relevant than ever now. <laughs> yes. I think that, I think that is really interesting. And I think, I don't think it's because people back then weren't paying attention necessarily it's just that there wasn't as clear an example as there is today you know i think in 1997 this was the sort of thing was like fascism was certainly on like felt like it was still in decline right the the nazis were there were no nazis in the united states that were taken seriously in any sort of way that sort of changed uh after 2001 and then if and then after and then as time went on uh, especially in the 2016 election and then the unite the right rally in, in 2017 Fascism has seen has, has come back in a big way, baby, in the especially in the United States. And it's been there's other places like Germany where fascist parties are starting to rise, uh, in Italy as well. So like, it, in ways, it's it's coming back in a big way. It's, it's making a big 
um, splash on the national stage, which I think makes it easier to show the similarities between a truly satirical fascist film versus actual fascism. Whereas in 1997, there wasn't just just wasn't as many examples of that. So um, I really think that's that's where that that comes down to. And I think it is interesting that uh, it's taking so long for it kind of to come back around. Um, but I think it's a real credit to this movie that it still looks and great and it's fun to watch. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not really like eating your vegetables at all, um, <laughs> but it makes you, but it really does make me think a lot and it makes, it really does like give you a, a good perspective to, to latch onto. And I really do think, I mean, I'm curious about what you think. This is the first time you've watched this movie, right? That's right. I mean, what, like how, how much did you pick up on it while you were watching it? I mean, how much did you know about it when you first came into it? I came into it knowing it was satire, so I was looking for it. And I felt like the Federation Network sequence at the very beginning was clearly satire. But the story itself was less to that degree. Yeah. And um, I actually came away from it a little bit confused as to like what it was trying to say. And like a little bit of reflection generally clears things up. So that like was helpful. But um, reading the reviews of other people who thought this was completely, uh, you know, unironic, I could see that. I was like, that actually makes sense to me that people would come away from it that way. Um, I also thought it was interesting that this movie was made pre 9-11 because the attack on Buenos Aires could be a stand-in for 9-11. Yes. Uh, all you need is, uh, and again, it's like you could add this or you don't have to, but it's like, what if the real reason they were doing that was because they're like, we have to kill the bugs and also take the unobtainium that they're sitting on or whatever uh, resource right, right, you want right, to right. say, right? They are, can, they're squandering their resources. Yes. It's, it's, uh, we deserve those better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's even yeah. like the spoils of war, you know, like we killed the bugs and we found this stuff underneath there, like glory to the UCF because we're, we're like killing the enemy and being rewarded for it as we do it. Um, and then you could do something about about it's like well like how did that comet even hit earth because our defenses can definitely stop that size of comet like was this a false flag Mm. are they like stirring up this like are they willing to kill millions of earth humans to like continue to justify the war right like you could get into more like uh conspiratorial specific to 9-11 type things in there uh, but it's like interesting whenever you see a movie that like kind of does 9-11 before 2001 um and so anyways i guess to get back to your yeah, question Starship troopers does did 9-11 yes. <laughs> but um but like to get back to your question um yeah i mean i i thought it was just really interesting how this movie kind of toes that line because it's so uh, willing to <laughs> risk being viewed as the thing that it's satirizing. Um, I think there's a little bit of like, I saw somebody say Poe's Law uh, in their review to this movie, which yeah. I, I think you can kind of say in any situation, like when you do satire, you're risking Poe's Law. But I also think that the, especially the ne- the Federation Network sequences are so obviously satire that like you have to at least smell something a little bit funny uh, coming out of this film because they feature those sequences. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I kind of uh, thinking about supplemental reading for this um, movie, like if you wanted to get a better understanding. At first, I was thinking you should read the book, but I, the book is not the best model for that it's actually the movie triumph of the will which was made by the nazi germany uh, a lot of the sequences in this movie are taken directly from that one it's like uh, a, 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 a exact reflection of 
sequences in that Nazi movie, um, which is on purpose. And I think if you were familiar with that, it would it would evoke that same kind of feeling. You would understand where that connection came from. Um, and I think that's I think that's probably too esoteric for most people who are going to watch this. But I honestly feel like a lot of people would have a similar experience to what I did when I first watched it. I think you felt the same way, which is sort of confused. Like you're watching one thing, but being told another, I think is the best way to describe this. And I think that you can either, you can either sit with that and be like, I don't, I felt weird about this and I don't know why, or you can kind of pull that thread and, and try to piece together what it is. But I don't think you can come away from this movie being like, oh, wow, this is like, this is telling me that, that fascism is good. I think that it's, you come away, I think it's, you, you must come away with it if you're, if you're just going in there blind with this feeling like, ah, uh, this is, something's off, something's wrong about this. And, and you know, it depends on uh, how you view movies, uh, whether or not you're going to, um, like, pull, continue to unravel that or just let it go from there. Always worth, uh, you know, thinking harder about the media you consume, I think. I agree. I totally agree. Okay. Uh, well, let's move on from the overall section and get into our cool Easter eggs. What have you got, Joey? Okay. So um, uh, there's a lot of explicit Nazi imagery in this movie, um, including the uniforms that the officers wear, including Carl Jenkins. Um, these are supposed to the emblematic of SS uniforms. Um, there's even a UCF flag bearing an eagle, which represents the Nazi coat of arms. And um, the uniforms are, they look like the Nazi secret police, um, including its insignia and infantry uniforms bearing a symbol similar to Mussolini, Mussolini's black shirts. And uh, when the studio was like, hey, uh, Verhoeven, this looks too much like Nazi imagery. He's like, what do you mean? It's a totally different color. <laughs> pretty good answer <laughs> yeah yeah i i thought that this stuff was i don't know if it's embarrassing to say this but like i didn't notice that everybody was dressed like a nazi until i saw neil patrick harris in his trench coat at the end where i was like wait a minute <laughs> this guy looks like hitler and then i like looked back and i was like oh my gosh these everybody looks like a nazi <laughs> like the um the scene where the the pilots where carmen is first getting her chance to be a pilot and her and that other girl are like running around through the hallway and they're like wee like sliding down the the railing and stuff i i, I thought it was goofy at first but then like watching it back i was like this looks hilarious because they just look like a couple of nazis like <laughs> gleefully running around um uh, I don't know. It, it, yeah, that, that stuff was way more apparent to me once I noticed that that's what they were going for. Um, another thing, I have a couple other things I want to talk about. First, a uh, big shout out to Phil Tippett of Tippett Studios, who worked on the special effects for this movie. Um, he previously, for this, worked on uh, Jurassic Park, uh, including using this device called a direct input device which was developed on the set of Jurassic Park. From what I can tell from the special effects in this movie, um, they had a lot more time and resources than a lot of other special effects uh, uh, people usually have, um, which I think paid off because this movie definitely stands up. And most of it is CGI, uh, which is surprising to me because of how good it looks. But they used kind of a combination of a bunch of different effects, uh, including some um, prosthetics and animatronics um and uh this technique of camera tracking where like the camera's on a 
um, like a track that moves so that you can easily animate or or whatever you, uh, your models and stuff, which is very um, very complicated, but it's a really cool thing to watch. Um, there's one scene in particular that I want to point out, which is the Whiskey Outpost Massacre scene, where they arrive at the outpost with uh, Lieutenant Razcheck and they're attacked by thousands and thousands of bugs. So they had um, over a thousand bugs attacked the mobile infantry on Planet P, uh, and this was one of the first scenes filmed. Tippett described it as the most horrific, as the most horrific, due to strong winds causing unanticipated camera movements. Correcting the movements digitally took weeks, and the final scene took months due to its 10-second depiction of warriors and tankers swarming the base, which are the t- types of monsters mm-hmm. uh, or bugs, warriors and tankers. Um, the sequence was additionally difficult due to taking place in daylight, which required detailed tracking of how the light would interact with the bugs as they moved. Hayes and the art department gave the creatures specific surface qualities, such as texture and highlights, to make them seem even more believable in the light, which I think honestly probably went a long way toward making them look realistic rendering the scenes also uh was also a lengthy endeavor taking up to 60 hours to output a single frame and several months to render the entire 10 second sequence of 240 frames tippet studio eventually refined the process down to about 30 hours to keep the project on schedule but yeah 10 seconds it took months and months to to do i mean that's like pixar level like uh rendering times yeah this is this is insane um so uh, like I think that I think it does do a lot for the movie. I, I honestly feel like the bugs look great and um they're uh, amazing when they fall apart and everything and the stuff's gushing out of them. Crazy. But and they're disgusting looking obviously. But uh yeah, I think uh they just had a lot of resources apparently. They had a lot of money and a lot of time to dedicate to rendering lot very complicated images that uh go a long way. So um I'm I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I agree. I th- I think it was worth it. Um, an- another thing that we have to talk about, it's surprising we haven't brought it up yet. Gotta talk about the shower scene. The shower scene. Because <laughs> uh, I was definitely, didn't see, I didn't see this coming at all. I was like, oh, I guess we're just going to get, you know, boobs in this movie. <laughs> um, so I found this on IMDb. They said, director Paul Verhoeven and stars Dina Meyer and Casper Van Dien confirmed that Verhoeven and cinematographer Jost Vacano shot the co-ed shower scene in the nude themselves on a dare from Meyer. On the day of the shoot, Verhoeven had asked the cast to do a little fashion show without fashion so that they could get comfortable being naked. When the cast was reluctant to disrobe, Verhoeven asked them what the big deal was, and to which Meyer responded, Paul, if it's no big deal, why don't you do it? Quite unexpectedly, Verhoeven got undressed as well as Vacano, who had been raised in a nudity camp. After an initial shock, Van Dien reportedly yelled, Oh God, Dina, why? (laughs) And a good laugh from the cast, the scene was filmed without problems. Which, I don't know, I've heard too many stories of like, directors being like i need you to be naked for this scene and it (laughs) comes across as nothing more than just a horny director who has women under his like sphere of influence sure being like now get naked right Right. um although this to me i I mean i don't know if this justifies it but it almost like portrayed this uh you know different society that they were existing in where um men and women are almost like more equal under the like rule of the UCF and it's uh being in the shower together it's like nobody would even think about this as an opportunity for like sexual harassment because uh it's more important to like serve or something I don't know yeah yeah well that's that's what 
that's what Van Verhoeven said about this scene later. It was that it's he was hoping to portray this as they were so dedicated to their service that they wouldn't even think about like um, you know looking at each other sexually in this context. Um, and I think it's it's it interesting that you bring up the like lack of sexism in this movie. Um, I think that that's not a contradiction to what fascism shows. I think fascism can be racist and xenophobic and sexist or anything else, but um, it doesn't have to be. It just has to choose one, has to choose an enemy and stick to that enemy, right? Um, until that enemy is uh, reduced enough to transfer to a new enemy. Um, but it doesn't inherently have to be like uh, anything. It just has to be prejudice in, in some specific way. Um, so it doesn't, I don't feel like this is a contradiction to the, uh, to like what Verhoeven is trying to show and even is somewhat of a, a, uh, blast against maybe identity politics, which isn't something that really existed in 1997, but like this idea that, um, you know, socialists or, or, uh, fascists only care about identity and like, uh, you know, what color your skin is, is sort of a distraction re regarding like the rest of their politics. It's, it's simply the dressing, um, that, that, that. Uh, is on top of their naked fascist bodies. Um, I have another thing about Paul Verhoeven uh, here, which I think is pretty funny. Most of the arachnids uh, appearing on film are CGI, but a few life-size robotic models were built. However, during the battle scenes, the actors wound up looking at Paul, a director Paul Verhoeven himself, who would stand in front of them and jump and scream at them, even chasing them with a broom to elicit the reactions attempting to generate from the fearsomeness of the 12-foot uh, space uh, ant. Clancy Brown affectionately described the director as a nutbag given to jumping up and down with a bullhorn going, I'm a big fucking bug. I'll kill you. I loved him. <laughs> and it was so much fun. <laughs> so that's pretty funny. To yeah. <laughs> um, I got a couple other interesting uh, little uh, uh, facts here that I found from Amazon's X-ray uh, thing. Uh, more ammunition was used in this film than any previous movie. According to veteran weapons coordinator, Robert Rock uh, Galati, the crew expended over 300,000 blank rounds during the course of filming, a personal record at the time. Wow. Yeah. One more thing. The base that houses the Fleet Academy is named Tereshkova after Russian cosmonaut Valentina Tereshkova, the first woman in space. Um, there's actually a couple of other references to other military heroes and stuff that are apparently from the book as well. So um, I thought that was kind of a neat little tidbit here. Yeah, that is really cool. It really reflects on the history of this Earth. You know, this is a potential future for us. That's right. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, um, that is going to bring us to the end of our cool Easter eggs and the end of our discussion on Starship Troopers. So as we do at the end of every episode of Apple Chat, we will now deliver our ratings. Joey, what rating do you want to give to Starship Troopers? I give this movie robot arms, robot legs, and a robot head. <laughs> Yeah, those guys at that base were definitely going to be needing robot heads after that. <laughs> uh, I give this movie an explosion that soaks you in orange blood. Ugh. Honestly, that scene, I think, really uh you know lives up like it it it, it did not diminish I, I thought it was still really badass the shooting the hole in its back and then putting a nuke in there awesome so uh all that yeah. stuff <laughs> okay um so that is going to complete our discussion on starship troopers joey what's next on affable chat next uh, we have a special episode with my friend grant where we're doing a movie called eight and a half uh which i've not seen yet so excited to watch that with grant 
fantastic. It'll be right here on the next episode of Apple Chat. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. AffableChat.com is your new favorite website on the internet. There you can find the latest from us and all our social accounts, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube, all of which are at AffableChat, and even our email address, AffableChat at gmail.com. If you like this episode, then do your part. Tell a friend about it. Have you considered listening to Affable Chat? That's all you have to say. Affable Chat is live on Tuesday nights, 7 p.m. Eastern time on Twitch. Uh, this week, we will be broadcasting live the execution of somebody that uh, we decided has <laughs> broken the law. So, broken uh, Twitch TOS. TOS. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, join the chat as uh, we cheer that on. Uh, but that is going to do it for this episode of Apple Chat. I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening.